Hey, Eagle Brook, great to be back. I'm Ted Cunningham, senior pastor of Woodland Hills Family Church in Branson, Missouri. And every now and then you allow me to come and share here at Eagle Brook. And I'm grateful to be a part of Take Back Your Family, this series. Uh, I was just in Orlando this week with my family, and uh, we were able to take in the Timberwolves at the Magic game, and your team is on fire. Let me tell you, the Magic, they weren't too happy, and there was no Magic at the Kia Center. Uh, they all started leaving around the third quarter, uh, but we stayed for all of it. My son there on the end, Carson, uh, on the right there, uh, we've been on this NBA stadium tour, and so uh, it was fun to be there for that. Uh, game last week, and congratulations, Wolves. So uh, today we're going to jump into part two of Take Back Your Family. We're talking about building a lasting marriage, uh, building a lasting family. And I'm going to give you three scenarios to start that maybe you've uh, experienced one of these at a family gathering at some point. You're gathered with your large family, and someone says that they just broke up with a boyfriend or girlfriend. And you're like, wow, that's a big deal. Tell me what happened. They tell you what happened. And after they tell you why, you have a moment where you're like, I don't know if that's a big enough deal to actually break up. Or maybe a family member says they just quit their job. And you're like, Phew, man, quitting your job, that's a, that's a big deal. Tell me what happened. They tell you what happened or what their boss said or did. And you have a moment where you're like, I don't know if that's a big enough deal to quit a job over. Or this happens in Missouri. I doubt it happens in Minnesota. But people can leave the church mad sometimes. And, and you're like, wow, you left your church? Family member says, yeah, we just left our church. And they've been going there for years. And you're like, man, what happened? They tell you what happened. And you're like, that's not that big of a deal. Why would you leave over that? And it's almost like you have this moment that are you resilient enough to make it through some of these minor offenses? Now, is there a good reason to break up with a boyfriend or girlfriend? Yes, good reasons for that. Are there valid reasons to quit a job? Absolutely. Are there good reasons to leave a church? Absolutely. But today what we're going to talk about are, are those no big deal moments that we encounter. I, I do a lot of work with couples and sometimes I hear about their latest conflict and I'm like, I don't know if that's uh, that big of a deal. I know I'm not involved emotionally in this relationship like you are, but is that really a reason to get in such a conflict? And sometimes we make relationships, we make marriage harder than they need to be. So I just want to start with the definition today of resilience as we talk about a lasting marriage. A resilient spouse withstands or bounces back from difficult conversations, seasons, and storms in life. And to have this resilience is important with the minor issues because the big storms are going to hit us all. And resilience, bouncing back from minor offenses, will build that resilience for when the major storms hit. Now, I grew up in the 80s. Anybody here grow up in the 80s? A few. Okay, there's a couple. So the 80s, we, I had parents who I didn't have a choice. I had to be resilient. And uh, I, while Jason was talking into the back of a box fan, I was playing with this toy right here. This was my absolute favorite toy because I loved Evil Knievel. And if he was scheduled for a jump, I was watching it on TV. This man broke over 400 bones in his career, and his jumps got crazier and crazier. But we didn't just watch his jumps. We didn't just play with this toy. We were evil Knievel. And, <laughs> and to build resilience in our country, I got to be honest with you, I don't see ramps anymore in neighborhoods. I think we need more dads going out with plywood and teaching their kids to jump their bikes. Anybody remember getting hurt and going in and having to prove to your dad? I think I'm bleeding, Daddy. He's like, just sit there, drink this Pepto-Bismol. We'll get through this real quick. 
you chug a bottle of Pepto. I'm still bleeding. Oh, but we, we love jumping our bikes. I, I'm not an expert at trajectory or geometry, but I can tell you the kid on the end didn't make it. And he knew he wasn't going to make it. Look at the smile on his face. That's how you knew who your best friend was. He was the last bus on the jump. Right? But I, I love this. But the only reason, we jump our bikes all day long. The only reason you would stop jumping your bike is when this truck pulled into the neighborhood. Now, I had a dad that taught us that the bell on the ice cream truck meant they were out of ice cream. But you would hear that bell from two streets over. And then we spent our childhood drinking sherbet or eating sherbet out of nasty toilet paper rolls. <laughs> and we loved it. We couldn't get enough of it. And then we'd go to school. In the 80s, we grew up under the threat of nuclear war. We had our fire drills, but we also had nuclear bomb blast drills. I grew up outside of Chicago, so we always thought we were one of the cities that was going to be targeted. But that was okay because in elementary school, we were safe. If we got hit by a nuclear bomb, we just... We hid underneath our desk. <laughs> we actually did drills. Can you believe we did? This is almost embarrassing to think about. We would get under our desk like this for 10 to 15 minutes, the teachers laughing in the hall. And we'd be like, how long do we have to stay like this? Just till the mushroom cloud passes, then we should be fine. Then we'd go out to the playground. I would race out to this piece of equipment right here. This was my favorite thing to do on the playground. You knew someone was getting hurt on this thing. You'd come, you'd, you were the first one to get knocked off this, and, and you'd come over to the teachers. They were all at Eastview Elementary lined up against the building. You'd come out with your arm like this, and, and, and you'd be like, I think I broke my arm. And they'd be like, what? What's going on, Teddy? I think I broke my arm. All right, get to the nurse's station, but be back before the bell rings. You understand me? That was just, that was resilience. But then this one, then we'd move over to the slide. Look at that thing. It screams danger, and we loved it. You notice there's no soft landing under this. And that takes us into talking about relationship formation a little bit today. Because instead of deciding our way through relationships, a lot of people today are sliding their way in. Dr. Scott Stanley is a research professor at the University of Denver. And he's, he's given his whole career to the study of relationship formation especially the history two people have before they get married. And he's coined this term, sliding versus deciding. Sliding is basically not paying attention in the relationship and just letting things happen to you. Maybe you'll hear people say, I'm seeing a guy, I'm seeing a girl, and we're just going to kind of see where it goes. And they're not paying attention to when major transitions and decisions come up, instead of deciding, they just slide past them. Why is deciding so important? Because when you decide, there's power in decision. And it kind of commits us to the follow-through. We read about this a little bit more in the Song of Songs, chapter 2, verses 5 through 7. I love this text. It's in the Old Testament. It's the Shulamite woman and Solomon. It's a, it's a love song. And in this book, when you get to chapter two, you see attraction and desire meet decision. Now, many of us, almost all of us, started in a relationship, began a relationship, formed a relationship with, with desire and attraction, and that's good. But if you want a lasting relationship, and by the way, today we're not just talking about a lasting marriage, we're talking about a lasting, thriving marriage. 
I don't want you getting an anniversary card at 10 years, 20 years, 30 years that basically just reads, well, you made it. Congratulations. No, I don't want you to just make it. Like, we want you to enjoy your marriage, have fun in your marriage, thrive in your marriage. And let me tell you, if you're going to have a lasting, thriving marriage, you have to move beyond just attraction and chemistry because you can't build a lasting marriage on that. There's something else, and it's, it's found in the power of decision. So starting in verse 5 of the Song of Songs, chapter 2, we get this lovesickness that maybe some of you are experiencing right now. Like, oh, Ted, what I feel when I'm with him, when I, what I feel when I'm with her, even when I'm not with her, when I'm not with him, I can't stop thinking about this person. We read that in verse 5. Strengthen me with raisins, refresh me with apples, for I am faint with love. The Shulamite woman is love sick. She loves Solomon, has desire for Solomon, attraction to Solomon. Now, verse 6 gets a little steamy, and it says, his left arm is under my head, and his right arm embraces me. Talk about desire. Uh, I'm, just to make some of you feel uncomfortable, I'm going to illustrate this. <laughs> so look at what it says. His left arm is under my head. His right arm embraces me. Here's what I want to challenge the husbands in here to do sometime this week. Just make this commitment. If your wife's in the family room, maybe in the kitchen, wherever she is, I want you to walk in and you got to have a little bit of swagger. And I want you to put that arm up there behind her head. I want you to bring her down to here. And I see there's some seniors in the room. You may end up down here and that's okay. And wrap that arm around her. I'm a country music guy, and I start singing, baby, lock the door and turn the lights down low. Let me get up here. All right. <laughs> but look at this intense desire. But verse 7 is the decision. Here's the power of decision. You individually, before you form a relationship, have to make decisions. Then when you enter into a relationship, you have to communicate those decisions. Then together, the strength of the relationship would be the, the both of you now making decisions together. We would also call this defining the relationship. Verse 7, daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you by the gazelles and by the does of the field, do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. We are attracted to one another. We have desire. But this is chapter 2. Chapters 1 and 2 of the Song of Songs, this is their dating, their courting. Chapter three, they get married. Chapter four, they're on the honeymoon. Chapter four is when the relationship is sexualized. So this is key. She is now expressing a decision that meets desire. Now, there are some of you that have formed relationships in the past, and it got to a place where you're like, I don't even know how we got here. I, I slid into this, Ted, pretty fast, and it ended with a great crash. You're, you had a relationship that looked like this kid right here. And you made the decision at that point that as you enter into another relationship, you're, you're, you're going to not take it so fast. You're going to slow things way down. And your next relationship looked more like this kid right here.
want you to see fast or slow, it's still sliding. It's sliding past the traditional relationship formation milestones and the making of a decision and saying this, it's okay. I just want to encourage all my single friends. It's okay to have expectations for a relationship. It's okay to, to set boundaries. It's okay. And you need to communicate those. Don't be afraid. Don't shy away from that. Make decisions. Dr. Stanley gives four reasons why you should decide. Why decision is so important and the power that comes with it. Setting up for better follow through. Number one, it communicates a desire for a future together. You begin picturing a special future together because number two, you have a sense of being a part of a team. Now I'm not just making decisions as me. I flip the M upside down and it's we. We now are part of a team and we have to make decisions together. Number three, it gives high priority to the relationship. In other words, you're going to have to maybe cut off some other relationships or set boundaries in other relationships. There may be hobbies that you don't pursue as much as you pursued when you were single. That it, It's saying this relationship is important and I am going to set up my life around it and we're going to build something together and I'm willing to sacrifice for others. This is the power of decision. You don't find this when you're sliding. And here's what we know. Every couple builds their marriage on something. And a lasting, thriving marriage is not built on attraction and chemistry. There are things, I remind my kids of this all the time, that are only in the movies. If we're watching a movie and a couple wakes up from a dead sleep and they start making out, mm -mm. that's only in the movies. We're not kissing until one of us has a scope or a Sprite or something. We're going to get some fresh breath going here. I always love this one. A couple's in the kitchen and the husband grabs the hose from the sink and just kind of playfully sprays his wife. And they're making out five minutes later. I want to challenge the Eaglebrook husbands in here. Let's, let's just test it. At some point this week, as your wife is walking by the kitchen, grab the hose and just, just, just spritz her a little bit and see how romantic things are five, ten minutes later. I don't want to give it away, but it won't be. There won't be no romance after you spray your wife. No. So that's what we say only in the movies. High-quality marriage, high-quality relationships are built on decision. I want to take you to the parable of the wise and foolish builders and ask you, what's the foundation of your marriage, of your family, of your relationship? Jesus says this, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock, the rock Christ Jesus, the teachings of Jesus, Look at the storm, verse 25. The rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. When you go to the foolish builder in the next two verses, you see that there's two observations you need to make. One, they both hear the teachings of Jesus. They both go through the exact same storm. The only difference is what they did with what they heard. What they did with what they knew. Verse 26. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into the practice. That is the difference between the two. It's like a foolish man who built his house on sand. Same storm. Verse 27. The rain came down. The streams rose. The winds blew. Beat against the house. And it fell with a great crash. I work with a lot of couples in crisis. And I work with a lot of couples who experience a great crash. 
And it's something I've been sharing with my kids for years. As, as we say it all the time in our home, Jesus is our source of life. Scripture is our source of truth. And to kind of shift from the foundation illustration to what we call the us bus in our family. I want for our family, for our marriage, to have scripture in the driver's seat. And so when our kids were small, I put this together to teach them uh, all those influences in our life that we make decisions off of. They're all on the bus. But we want to make sure that scripture is driving the bus of our conversation, of our home. And so we put scripture in the driver's seat. Next to scripture, we put tradition. I love tradition. I just don't let tradition drive the bus. Some of you may come from a faith tradition where scripture and tradition were both in the driver's seat, and it was confusing at times. Well, in our home, we separate the two, and we honor tradition. I love what the church fathers have said about it, what denominational leaders teach about the Bible, but they're in the front seat. They're just not in the driver's seat. Behind the tradition of the church, I put reason. This is your mind's ability to work through things logically. And the reason I put reason a little bit behind the collective wisdom of church leaders is because I, I trust the collective wisdom more than just my mind's ability. Next to this, I put experience. Notice it's, it's not in the front seat. And your experience is important. My experience is important. Your story is important. My story is important. I can learn from your story, but here's the key. I should never allow your story to become my authority. And too many people build their lives and their marriages. I see this with young couples all the time. I see this with young people avoiding marriage because of the experience of their parents or what they've seen in other family members and their marriages. And they, they, they look at those experiences and they say, I don't want that happening to me. So no, don't let someone else's experience right, drive the bus. And then emotions. A lot of people would leave this off the bus together. And a lot of the couples that I work with, when they come into the office, the, the, the emotion is in the driver's seat. And the first thing we have to do is establish who's going to be driving the bus. Why is this so important? Before we look today at the decisions you need to make in your marriage and in your family, we start by asking the question, how will we make decisions? How will we make decisions for our marriage and for our family? Emotions are definitely an influence, and they're definitely on the bus. But here's what we say about them. They're on the bus, and they're an influence. We just don't allow them to drive the bus. My friend Ryan Pinnell is a, a marriage and family therapist, and he likes to say it this way. Emotions are like our children. We should listen to them. We should care for them. But we should not allow them to make major decisions for our family. When we dropped our son off at college. I said, Carson, Scripture in the driver's seat. Jesus is your source of life. You're going to experience a lot of other worldviews here, a lot of other upbringings. Your roommate may be different than you. Just if, if you're like, if you want to stay on course, Carson, just keep Jesus as your source of life, the rock, your foundation, and scripture as your source of truth. Because the reality is every couple I've ever worked with and every couple I've ever known has been through storms in life. Don't make the mistake of looking at a couple that's been married 10, 20, 30 years and thriving in their marriage and think to yourself, the reason they get along so well is because they've had an easy life. The Hebrew term for that is, ha! <laughs> Not true. Not true. I've worked with some couples who are resilient, and they've been through some of the most difficult trials, trials I've not experienced. But they've committed together to have a relationship built on the power of decision. They've not slid through life. They've not slid through their relationships. And here's what we know about storms. We'll talk about them a little bit more. Storms reveal foundations. 
They let you know how a, a person's foundation is holding up. And marriages don't crash because of the storms that hit them. Marriages crash because of a weak foundation. And our encouragement for you today, singles, engaged couples, dating couples, married couples, and for your family, is that you begin to work on your foundation. We don't get to choose everything that happens to us in life, but we do get to choose our foundation. No matter what your trial, no matter what storm you may be going through right now, every single person in here gets to choose the foundation. Something we've been teaching our kids recently with just all the blame that you see people and for, for their life, for their moods, for their actions, they're pointing the finger like, well, you cause this, you cause this. Listen, you may be 0% to blame for what happened to you. 0% to blame for what happened in, in your last relationship and you were in a relationship where someone you know, was unfaithful or there was abuse. You may be 0% to blame for what happened to you, but you are 100% responsible for your healing, treatment of others, and decisions moving forward. You have to choose that. Don't wait for a storm to work on your foundation. Like, Ted, things are going pretty good right now. We're okay. We don't need to apply a lot of what you're going to share here in the next couple minutes. Let me get, don't wait for a storm. I, I work with couples in crisis. We have a ministry in our church called Marriage 911, and a lot of times couples in crisis will call the church. They're not part of our church. About 70% uh, of the couples we work with in a given year don't even go to our church, but they find their way back to church, and, here, and, and, and their marriage starts to do better, and, then, and they're plugged in, and they're serving, and they're growing, and then a year later, you look around like, where are they? Here, here's my encouragement. If you found your way back to church during a storm, stay put and work on your foundation. For when the next storm hits, if you cried out to God during a storm, keep praying long after the storm passes. If you reach for a Bible during a storm, keep it in hand while you wait for the next storm. I had a mentor that went to be with the Lord about eight years ago, Dr. Gary Smalley. And 20 years ago, when Amy and I were starting our family, he, he came to me and he said, Ted, do you guys have a family constitution? And I had heard of him, I know about him, and I know Gary's taught him for years, since the 70s. And I said, we don't. He goes, Ted, you gotta get on this. And a family constitution is simply this. It's a list of all of the decisions you've made as a family. Ours, we, we ha ended up with 10 by the time our kids left home. Amy and I are empty nesters now. And, and these 10, I mean, you can print them out, you can put them on your wall, put them on your refrigerator. I'm gonna put all of them on the screens. I encourage you, if you're taking notes, maybe just take a picture of them. You can steal ours, make them your own. You can edit them. If you have small kids, maybe you'll start with three or four, but allow the whole family to participate in this. But these are the decisions we've made as a family as part of the Cunningham Constitution. I encourage every family to do something similar. Here's number one on our family constitution, the decision we've made. We will love the Lord with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. This is the only decision you'll see of the 10 that we each had to make individually. I can't make the decision to follow Jesus for my kids. They have to own their own faith. Everyone in our family made the decision to follow Christ and make Jesus the source of their life. Number two, we will read and memorize scripture together. This was a big one for us. We shared it every day. And if, if this is not something that's part of your home, uh, I just want to encourage you to start somewhere. Last week, the Bible app was mentioned, and I want to encourage you, if you have the ability to share a meme with your spouse, I do, a reel with your spouse, I do, you can share a verse with your spouse. 
Sign up for a Bible reading plan that'll get sent straight to your phone, and when you read through something, just share that. I share that with my kids, share that with my, it's just a great way for us to jump into scripture reading, scripture memory, scripture studying, but do something. Number three, we will pray together every day. Now, for some of you, you may not pray at all as a family. I wanna encourage you, start with mealtime. And, and let it be more than, dear Jesus, thank you for this food, amen. Like, take a minute and pray. If you only pray during meals, I wanna encourage you, go outside of mealtime. Pray before you all uh, part ways for the day. Uh, before you go to bed at night, that was a big one for our family. Every member of our family took turns praying. I was encouraging our church with this years ago, and one guy came up to me uh, the next Sunday, and he said, Ted, I've never prayed with my family, and I've got teenagers. And, and I thought, well, they're not gonna be giddy over this. He said, so I, I walked into my da teenage daughter's room, never prayed with her in my life. I couldn't even make eye contact with her. I didn't know what I was gonna say. I was almost embarrassed to do it. He said, I'm kind of kicking the floor like this. And he said, I asked her, I don't know, you wanna, you wanna pray or something, you know, like that. And she said, Dad, I do. And he goes, Ted, I can't even remember what I said. I can't even remember if I, my prayer made sense. I just want to encourage you, start somewhere. Make that a decision to pray together as a family. Number four, we will speak words of high honor over each other every day. You know this when you go to work and you go to school. Uh, we don't live in a culture of honor, but we decided that our home would be a home of honor. We would remind one another each day of our worth and value as image bearers of Almighty God. The world's gonna throw plenty at us. If you spend time on social media, you know what's coming at you. Let your home be the safe place for you to speak those words of high value over one another. Number five, uh, we will offer grace for mistakes and avoid repeating the same mistake over and over again. To go back to number two, if you're like, what verse can we start with for our family? I gotta tell you, we memorize as a family I love the proverb, um, as a dog returns to its vomit, so a fool repeats its folly. And our, if you got small kids, they'll love that verse and they'll say it with passion. But we used to say that all the time, and I used to love that when my kids were small to be like, hey, do we allow mistakes in the Cunningham home? We do. What do we try to avoid at all costs? Making the same mistake over and over again. Yeah, that's a fool. A fool never learns. From their mistakes. So we don't want that. We want to learn from them. We allow grace for mistakes. Number six, we will work hard, give generously, save wisely, and spend sensibly. You're like, that's Dave Ramsey. No, that's Ron Cunningham. He came up with that long before Dave Ramsey. I remember when we'd mow a lawn in the neighborhood. My dad, he drove a Plymouth Volari. We were that awesome family. And uh, if we, if we drove by a neighbor that had grass this tall, he'd stop, make me go up, knock on the door, three-quarter acre lots, and I'd have to mow that lawn for 10 bucks, and I'd bring the $10 home, and my dad would take me to his desk, and he loved envelopes. He came up with envelopes before Dave Ramsey. And we had the tithe envelope, 10% to the church. Then we had a missions envelope, and then we had a savings envelope, and then we had a spending envelope. It was always empty, and my parents didn't spend money, and I've been doing this, I'm, I'm 50 years old. I tithe to this day. Not, and you're like, well, yeah, because the Bible, listen, I tithe because Ron Cunningham did this over and over and over and over again. These decisions find their way onto the hearts of our children. We made this decision and we put this into practice as a family. This is a big one, number seven. We will love, support, and serve our church. We will love Jesus and we will love the bride of Christ. 
serve your church. We know this, that 78% of couples, according to the Institute of Family Studies, 78% of couples who attend church regularly uh, report that they are either extremely happy or very happy in their marriage. And that percentage only goes up from there to couples who serve together, pray together, read the Bible together. Serve our church. Number eight, you can imagine, this is me with my passion for comedy. We will laugh together every day. A cheerful heart is good medicine, and, we, and I go after it every day. My wife's silent, patriotic laugh, I'm seeking it every day. I don't get it every day, but we go for it every day. Number nine, we will take 100% personal responsibility for our emotions, words, and actions. We're not going to blame others for how we're feeling, and we're not going to blame others for, our, for what we do. And then number 10, I was so encouraged by the message last week because we fall into this trap like every single family. And we made the decision. It's one of the last ones we added to our family constitution to close it out before our kids left home. But we added, we will live in the moment, not on technology. You've done this. I've done this where something happens in your family and you have a moment where you're like, we didn't capture that. And so we got to reenact it. We reenact it to post it. Now as a family, what we do, something happens that nobody got on video, nobody got a picture of, and we just look at each other, and we've got the eyes that say, that one's just for us. Nobody needs to know that just happened. We're talking about legal stuff. You know what I'm talking about here. Uh, <laughs> but that one's just for us. And I, I hope, I hope you, you see, don't overcomplicate this. This is simple. When we were reading and studying the Bible together as a family, we had these devotional cards for our kids when they were small. It was an A to Z series with scripture from, you know, critters and nature and all that from the Bible. And the E in that series was the eagle. And the two-word lesson was unlimited power. And uh, it's Isaiah 40, 31. And, and we were studying that one night. And I remember while we were going through those, Amy said to our family, she said, you know, we live in the Tri-Lakes area, Ted, and we don't have a boat. We need a boat. And I'm like, your wish is my command. We're getting a boat. Now, I don't want husbands leaving here with that as the only thing you take from this message. <laughs> Did you hear what he said? We need a boat. Okay, that was Amy saying, we need a boat. And a couple weeks later, I was driving down Highway 76 in Branson, past O'Reilly Auto Parts, and there was an old rickety canoe in the ditch, and someone didn't put a poster on it with $100. They took a marker to the boat and said $100. And my very first thought was, what my baby wants, my baby gets. <laughs> I pulled over, and I, this boat had three holes in it. It was not going to be seaworthy at all. But I threw it up on top of the minivan, went into O'Reilly's, asked him for a patch kit. You got something that can patch these holes? Patched it up, and we live in a neighborhood that's about three-quarters of a mile off of Lake Tanecomo. And I found a spot through the woods, and I, I put a rope on it, and I dragged that thing down to the lake three-quarters of a mile, tied it to a tree, picked the kids up from school. I couldn't wait to show them. We go hiking down through the woods, and it's on this cove that there's no houses. It's real rough. And Carson sees it, and he looks up at me, and he goes, Daddy, thank you so much. <laughs> and this is a picture of our maiden voyage on this canoe. And we're not on this boat, but a couple of minutes. Notice I keep calling it a boat. Uh, and an eagle flies over. Weeks after we went through the eagle in our series. And my son, from the back of that boat, like a mighty Morphin Power Ranger, goes, Unlimited power! <laughs> and I went, I just had this moment as a dad. I'm like, it's so simple, but they're getting it. The power of decision and what you're doing and you stick to over it's not difficult. A couple weeks after we got this canoe, a flood hit the Ozarks 
And I still can't believe this happened because we weren't prepared for it. We, we have floods often, but this one we weren't prepared for. And Johnny Morris with Bass Pro Shops and Cabela's is a beautiful marina that he built there on our landing next to a smaller Bass Pro Shop, a 26-slip boat dock. They weren't prepared for it. That thing broke away from the landing, floated 14 miles down the horseshoe shape of Taney Como into the cove where the only thing in that cove was our canoe. Came right up to our canoe. We go hiking down through the woods. My son sees it, and he goes... Daddy, thank you so much. He thought that I bought him a marina for our canoe. This still blows my mind. The minnows were still swimming around in the minnow buckets. The cash register, the snacks, everything was still there. We played on this thing for six weeks. After the first couple weeks, I told the kids, we're eventually going to have to pay for these snacks. This doesn't feel... Uh, doesn't feel right. You want a marriage and a family that's thriving. Can I encourage you with decision? Decide today how you're going to make them. And then as a family, start making the decisions. As for our family, we're not sliding. We're deciding. And that's how you take back your family. Would you pray with me? Father, I, just, I pray that we don't overcomplicate this. And as a family, as a couple, and, and the individuals that are in here, that they would, would, would not slide through life and slide through a, a relationship, that they would make decisions, clear decisions with scripture in the driver's seat and their foundation on the rock Christ Jesus. I pray for thriving marriages and thriving families all across this church and all across Minnesota. Continue to use Eaglebrook to bless singles and families and couples continue to, to use us uh, as a church to be a blessing uh, to this community. We pray all of this in the authority of the name of Jesus. Amen. If you need prayer, the prayer team's down front. Have a great weekend.